0: Hi, I'm Keegan Sands, and welcome back to Ship It, the podcast from Dept Agency that's made by engineers for engineers. Does crypto seem cryptic and you don't know where to start? Sometimes the best way to learn is to dive in and immerse yourself. In the first episode of this two-part series, Brandon Askov and Dave Merwin from Dept's Crypto Collective will shed some light and share some resources to get you well on your way to understanding this exciting new frontier. So without further ado, let's get started.
1: Hi, I'm Brandon Azkov, and this is another episode of Ship It. With me today is Dave Merwin, who does exactly what I do at Rocket. We've been running a bunch of crypto projects and trying to get people to understand this world and to understand what this uh, blockchain space has to offer, what these new technologies have to offer, despite what it might look like today. Dave, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit more?
0: Sure. I'm Dave Merwin, as Brandon said. I have been an artist, a creator, a developer for the past 20 years. I'm super stoked about the stuff that we're working on because I feel like it's provided some unique opportunities and some new stuff to explore. It feels like the internet what felt when it, like, 1992. Like, when it was yeah. like anything was possible, and this is super exciting.
1: Yeah, I definitely think it's a little alienating to some people, too, because it's a new space, and looking at it from the outside in can seem crazy and hectic, and it is. And I think it could also seem overwhelming and confusing. And it also is. Yeah. There's a lot to crack into here, but I think what we're going to try to do today is break down our part one into how you can immerse yourself in this world to learn it the fastest and come to appreciate it. So yeah, let's like dig into this right away. Let's talk about like, do you have to care about the project or not? Should I just go buy a CryptoPunk? I can't afford a Bored Ape. How do I define what's going to be a good NFT? Or am I just riding the hype train? What am I doing here?
0: The thing that I love the most about this is being curious about these things at all is sort of what it's all about right now. Do you have to actually care about the project? Do you have to care about what you're getting involved in? Do you have to understand it? And I think if you are curious, that's enough to get started, right? That curiosity, the ability to explore and sort of dream about what could be possible is sort of the gateway drug to all of this, right? Like, How can I figure out what this is supposed to do and how I want to be involved?
1: Yeah, for me, I always say that it's really easy to kind of take cracks at it until it's important to you. Because yeah, I did that myself, especially early on, where I was like, I don't get this. I mean, it's just JPEGs. And then I realized one day that I had been buying digital packs of Magic: The Gathering cards for playing that game digitally, and I was like, Man, I'd love to have an actual representation of this ownership instead of this black box that I'm buying right now. And then it hit me, and so that was my early days of realizing how I could have value for something that I already enjoy, and then. Same thing is true for NBA Top Shot, NFL, now, all these sports, you know, there's a lot of fandom behind it. And I think that as, as soon as it taps into your fandom, it really shows. I was recently telling Dave the story, so I'll repeat it now, that there's someone we work with who is sort of, eh, I don't really see what the big deal is with NFTs. And then Flo came out with their new, what is it called, NFL All Day. And he missed the first drop and he was really, really upset about it. Like, he was really bummed that he couldn't get that NFT and he had to wait till the next drop was coming around. So... It's very easy to hate on it until all of a sudden it makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that was exciting for me about this whole space from the beginning as an artist and sort of where I fell out of love with the internet was probably the moment that digital cameras came out and everyone started becoming a photographer. The ability now to actually even though there's so many questions out there, there's so much that's not figured out. But the idea that unique ownership can become a thing again, and that as an artist and a creator, you can exert some sort of rights over your IP in a way that's meaningful. Um, if you have less than 100,000 followers, like it, it, it definitely feels like this is the opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, to do some really interesting things again.
1: That's a good point And but, a decent segue to mention that in my mind, and I like classifying it this way for people, especially if they're new to it, is that there's really two categories of NFTs that you'll see. One are on the art and collectible side. We had uh, Beeple who made the $69 million piece of art. You can think of them like a modern day Banksy in the NFT realm. And then you have the collectible side. The collectibles would be something like a board API Club or Magic the Gathering cards. And then there's the utility side. Now, board Apes also offer this VIP membership that gives you exclusive access to certain things, a chance to stand in line early for certain things. So that's one example of that. It could be discounts, whatever. There's always utility tied to it. Today, we're seeing those two things overlap in a big way. I think we'll still yeah. see utility NFTs have some kind of arch and visual tied to them, but Will it have to be unique every time? Probably not. On the art side, on the other hand, we'll definitely see maybe one NFT represents this particular digital piece of art. Now, what's interesting is that in the regular physical art world, uh, I don't know if you remember that banana duct tape to the wall. That's called the yeah. comedian. And that, I think, has four separate licenses that people can have. The Any museum has the rights to display that banana and replace the banana as needed for the <laughs> for the art display. So... Right there, you could think of that as like four separate certificates that show that is the real installation. Because I could go duct tape a banana to my wall, but it doesn't mean that I have the rights to show off that art installation, quote unquote. So I think that we'll see the art side differentiate yeah. itself from the utility side of things. But right now, the collectible side of things is huge. I mean, it's a new version of collectibles. It's a new baseball card. It's a new, I don't want to call them beanie babies, but some of them have that. And I think it's a good segue to saying, I think that there's a lot of signs that point to most of these nfts going to zero Masari research which is sort of like the forester research in crypto land recently put out a report for their crypto theses for 2022 and they have a pretty clear sentence in there saying that most nfts are going to go to zero today but the technology there is very sound and it'll become an asset class all its own that will be here for a long time to come
0: yeah, and I think to kind of pick up on what you're talking about with the collectibles, one of my big pushbacks, at least at NFTs in the beginning, was like, I don't care about PFPs. Like, I don't want a board ape. But I, it
1: literally just stands for profile picture. The F is the F in profile, I guess. That's like the Twitter avatar profile.
0: thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the point being, like, I don't care about that stuff, and that's okay. Like, one does not represent the entire body. Trying to equate the idea that NFTs as art is to what you see when you see a board ape is like saying a 1955 Plymouth is representative of all transportation. It just doesn't make any sense. And that's not how things work and that's not what things actually are. If you look at it and go, well, most of this is crap, to you it might be, and to Masari's point, it may go to zero, but but that's not the point. The point is there are things in there that are interesting to various different people and with what, four and a half billion people on the internet, There's going to be a lot of variety. I've been trying to liken it to people. It's not like there's a new
1: car invented. Like, oh, we have a car now. Like when the cars were first invented, we went from horses to cars. That was a big change. It wasn't that. It's more like the Industrial Revolution where we had factory lines all of a sudden. And now we have that stuff available to everybody. Like it expands the scope of what's possible in a massive way that I don't think people see yeah. like how people freaked out about 3d printers like everything will be a 3d printer in the future you'll be printing out kidneys on your desktop and i'm like uh, maybe in time but this is this tech here will change a lot of things in a short period yeah okay well let's say you can't get you can't find a project that you like maybe i don't care about the nba or the nfl or sports ball as people like to call it uh how do i get involved what's something i can look for that'll like i don't know what's an NFT that would interest me Haters i gonna think... hate. so i'm gonna play that role a little bit on this one so well me bro
0: i would argue again it goes back to your own curiosities so first of all no one's going to hold your hand and like your friends will your buddies will but the internet and the internet community is not going to hold your hand in this so if you're curious about photography let's say black and white photography or get let's get real specific like black and white seascape photography is your jam right if you googled black and white seascape photography nfts you're going to find a collection you may not like it and maybe you want to contribute to it maybe you want to participate as an artist but the idea of going to an NFT marketplace and realizing your curiosities being fulfilled is not necessarily going to happen because yeah. they're trying to... The marketplace and your curiosity are diametrically opposed. When I'm looking for projects to get involved in or to find out more about, I really start with Google and will literally Google the topic I'm interested in. For instance, for me, I really love generative art. And I love the idea of... Generative being this programmatically... Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you write a piece of code, it takes in some variables and it generates art and it, it's sort of both and kind of thing. You're cooperating, the machine's cooperating with you. We could go into this for hours, but the idea of, I want to go see that stuff. It's going to be on Artblocks. Artblocks.io is devoted to generative art and they actually are doing a really cool project the way they're doing that. So anyway, I would suggest stop looking in places that you don't like and using that as the basis to make your decision on. Instead, go f- follow your curiosities and go look for where those projects are being represented.
1: Yeah, that's well said. And I should also point out that not all NFTs do have art tied to them. And without going down this other rabbit hole, and we'll avoid this today, I'll mention something, a recent project that was announced that was a big deal if you pay attention to this space. It was called Links DAO, where essentially you're, you're pre-buying a membership to a golf course that doesn't exist yet. And by buying... All these memberships, the community has contributed to this coffer of money that will be used to go buy the golf course where they'll all have this exclusive membership to it. So that is a version of an NFT that is very different from what we see today. So maybe that speaks to you. If you're a golfer, man, maybe that was just like, hey, I get it now. Maybe that was the moment. It doesn't always have to be tied to art.
0: Yeah, I feel like you just opened the door in the hallway in the matrix with, and then it like all the green light just like blasts out behind it. <laughs> I know, yeah. That, that We're
1: trying our best, to, dear listeners, to not go down as many rabbit holes as we typically go down. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you've ever been in a room with crypto people. I know it can be very alienating, but it's because they go so deep down rabbit holes and say a lot of lingo. We'll try our best not to get too deep into lingo. So let's, let's go right into lingo. Let's talk about wallets. I guess I'll keep a high level is that uh, a wallet is effectively served up, typically, through some kind of mobile app or browser extension. But what it is, you can kind of think of it like an email address. It's a way to reach you and you can send and receive things from, and people can't log into it but you. It's just a way for you to log into websites in this new Web3 landscape. That's a really high-level overview. I don't know how you feel about that.
0: Yeah, and no, I think that's fantastic. And it leads to the description that wallets, hopefully this is the only time I say Web3 in this entire conversation. I'm trying not to drop sh- link like that. So typically, if you go to Facebook or Instagram or whatever, these different services, you have to log into their system and you have to authenticate yourself against their database. With a wallet, you log into your wallet and then you can take that wallet and go to other places and your credentials go with you. The other service is not supposed to know anything about who you are as an individual outside of your address. So- That was really well said. Thanks. So the idea is I can take this information about myself and go to all these different places like OpenSea and ArtBlocks.io or whatever. Like I can move my information around with me in interacting with them, but they don't get to know who I am. So I get to keep my information private.
1: Yeah, that's that's uh, the goal anyway. Well, it's funny. I think that people tend to focus on privacy, but I think that there's actually much more community involved with this new space, especially now, again, like early web days where everyone's excited, there's a lot of this swirl around the community. Yeah. And I think we'll actually end up seeing... I'll use a good example. Steve Aoki got in early with NFTs. He's got three Bored Apes. He's got three Mutant Apes. We've mentioned Bored Apes and Mutant Apes a few times. They are popular NFTs. I'll leave it at that. They're expensive. Celebrities love them. Steve Aoki has a vault on OpenSea that you can look at. And I think that just goes to show that people are willing to tie their wallet address to their showcase to show what they've done, to show what they've held. And while that does expose you to all the transactions that have ever come in and out of that wallet, I think that people are generally okay with that. We've gone from where my parents and my grandparents would default to everything I do online is private unless I specify otherwise. Our generation was everything I do online is public unless I specify otherwise. And this new generation is more like everything's public anyway. I might as well just shout it from the rooftops and be really careful about what I do online because it's going to be exposed.
0: And for those of you who might be freaking out when you hear that, you have an option. So, and we can go into the details of this later, but you can have a public and a private wallet.
1: Yeah, it's true. We've kind of simplified what a wallet is on the surface. It does get very, very deep in what you can do with them. High level, it's, hey, now everyone can be their own bank. But you know, with being your own bank comes some responsibility too, in terms of how you handle the thing. It comes with a lot of risk. So it's a good segue into talking about a little bit of lingo. Let's stick with us here. Custodial versus non-custodial wallets. Custodial wallet being something where someone holds that wallet on behalf of you. It's very similar to what happens today when you log into something. They're holding that profile on behalf of you. In this case, your money, your assets, your NFTs could be tied to that wallet. So you have to trust the institution that's holding it on behalf of you. There's a saying in crypto that says, not your keys, not your wallet. And that is definitely true here where you might want that responsibility. I mean, it comes with some risk too, right? If you're gonna own your own wallet and move those things into your own wallet, you have to be responsible enough to do it properly. And you do run the risk of doing it improperly. And if you think that's scary, then hopefully the institution that is holding it on behalf of you is trustworthy and that you trust them. And that's okay. Because custodial wallets are okay. I don't want to like hate on them or anything like that. But those are really the two differences is that this wallet we've been describing so far would be considered a non-custodial wallet. You have to own the keys and actually let's talk about that what are keys yeah keys, oh that's my actually lingo in itself yeah okay so when we say keys so i here, a <laughs> i guess we should call it by what the lingo is in the world right now so i've heard two two terms of it seed phrase or mnemonic mnemonic phrase. Yeah. yeah so mnemonic being that word that starts like johnny mnemonic starring keanu reeves from the early 90s m-n-e-m-o-n-i-c yeah, uh, yeah a seed phrase is essentially instead of a password it's 24, 25, 26 different words that are in a specific order. And you don't pick them, they are generated for you. And then you'll see when you create a wall, it's like, write these down, put them somewhere safe. Don't take a picture of it, don't write it on a post-it note. If you lose this, you lose access to this thing forever. And that is true. Can't stress that enough, which scares some people. So what's a good solution there for people who, I don't know, I just remember, I use one password for everything. I'm supposed to remember
0: 25 words. What do people do about that? I think it's a great question. I think one of the things you should not do is take a picture of it with your phone. Yeah, don't put it on the is, is backing up and syncing to Google Drive or Google Photos or Apple or whatever. So what I do personally, I'm going to share my, my, my practice. I went to my local hardware store and I bought a safe. I put the safe in a closet. It's a fireproof safe. And when I create a phrase, I write it down on a piece of paper. I label what it is. And then I put that thing in a safe. Don't take pictures of it. I don't do any of those things. And I know it sounds like a lot of work. But it's definitely like the first time, and this happens all to me as an adult with ADHD, I know that this happens, like this is the story of my life. So I have no problem writing things down because the first time you forget it and you go, oh shit, I have $150 in that wallet and you forget, like it's gone. And so I'm pretty diligent about writing it down, putting in the safe and closing the safe. And then if I forget the combination to the safe, at least then I can like bust it open with a sledgehammer or
1: something. Yeah, you'll figure out some way to get into the safe somehow. Again, like going back to like, you have that responsibility. You're your own bank. You have to make sure you can um, protect yourself from bad actors. And that means in a lot of cases, using some sort of physical, non-connected, non-digital means of storing your password. Uh, A company called Ledger, which makes hardware wallets, cold storage wallets, which we can get into. But they also make other products which are called crypto steel and the billphol and basically they are hardware versions where you can store that 25 seed phrase 24 seed phrase whatever it is and keep it in something that is fireproof itself is crush proof withstand an amazing amount of, of force so there's basically different ways to do this but the proper way to do it is offline storage, whether it be physical whatever and as dave mentioned he put it in a fireproof safe you want to protect it from the elements and you don't want your god forbid there should be some accident at your home we have insurance for that kind of thing but they won't cover your crypto wallet i guarantee it if all you have is a password manager and you trust it that's an option it's not my favorite option but it's an option just don't write it down on a post-it or take a picture of it please
0: yeah the picture is the worst probably the worst thing you could do yeah
1: unless it's like a polaroid maybe I
0: can see that being okay. That's probably
1: like the one like good use of Polaroids nowadays.
0: So let's talk about... Polaroid, if you're you're listening, we can help you design your app and get that started for you. Exactly. So Metamask, popular
1: term around wallet terminology. And people think that that's the blockchain thing I do now, Metamask. And I guess it's worth pointing out that Metamask is built on top of the Ethereum blockchain. It does work with Ethereum based blockchains which I, I won't go down that rabbit hole either there's other things that works with besides ethereum such as polygon you can also connect to test networks and do a bunch of advanced things with it in fact it's a little overwhelming because of that for first timers yeah and totally on top agree. of that ethereum uh, i don't know if you know this or not but ethereum is known for having very high transaction fees right now so also a barrier to entry for any beginner so i think that for the sake of this discussion we'll just not talk about metamask let's talk about maybe what's a great User friendly wallet, user friendly blockchain where the transaction fees are low, there people can get involved.
0: I actually have a bunch of wallets that I don't even use. And the reason is I went through and explored. The, what the user experience was like for the wallets. Does it make sense to me? Do it, Does it give me the control that I want? That kind of stuff. So for me, rules of thumbs are one, do I get pissed when I open it? Like when I open it, is it confusing? Do I have to hunt and peck to try to find the information? Like it needs to just make sense for what I'm trying to do. So the ones that I found on Solana Phantom is a really great wallet. To me, it's super easy. Yeah, I agree. On Algo, it's um, MyAlgo. So the MyAlgo browser extension wallet. If you're a developer, that's it, a really fun wallet to play with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a lot you can do with it, yeah. But in both of those instances, though, so like My, MyAlgo, the UI is a little rough, but the functionality is all there. So like I get, me- I get real message confirmation. So if I do a transaction, I get confirmation that something happened or it failed, or it's timing out, or like something is, right? Like You get some sort of information back in a meaningful way. Create your own assets, you get governance, it's nice. Yep, yep, yep. My assets, what I own are front and center. And so like with Phantom, I can see what I own and what I don't own and what's happening and where I've staked stuff and even the liquidity tokens that I have. The information is there available to me so that I can track what's going on. So to me, it's about does the user experience make sense to me? Am I getting meaningful information when it comes to, comes to the confirmations? If you think about it like with your bank, you do a transaction with your bank and then you get this like weird ledger three weeks later that has like all of this, like how, I don't even know what this means. Like, why are you sending this to me? Whereas I, I feel like a wallet that just says, this is how much went out, this is how much came in, this is what happened and here's the address. And then links out to the actual blockchain to see the transaction in real time. That's also super helpful. Yeah, I know. And when people do that, they go to, that's called a block explorer.
1: When you go to one of those things to explore what the transaction was and where it came from, where it went to and what happened and what block it was in, what time, all those details. It's an overwhelming amount of information to look at and it's kind of boring. But I think that just goes to speak to the user experience stage that we're at. We're still early and just like the early web and like the early 90s, it's awkward and clunky. So that phantom wallet that Dave mentioned is a Solana-based wallet for the Solana blockchain. And the user experience is very good. It's very, very friendly. I think it's a fantastic first wallet choice to sort of exploring this space. So let's put ourselves in the seat of the person who is getting involved. They have now gotten a Solana wallet. Now, I should point out in part one, we're not going to talk about buying cryptocurrency and moving it into your wallet or even acquiring NFTs. We're in browse mode right now. We're just going to go be yeah. checking some stuff out and understanding this wallet thing and how do I connect with it and all that stuff. So we've got a phantom wallet. It's a browser extension. And uh, what am I using? Chrome here, probably. Yeah, if, in fact, if you're not yeah. using, if you're using Safari, please stop. They're just way behind other browsers and there's bugs in it and security issues and just try to avoid that. But any Chrome-based browser, so I'll say Chrome, actually, I know for a fact this works in Firefox, Edge, which is the Microsoft Internet Explorer nowadays. We've got Brave, which is the yeah. crypto-based browser. It's kind of privacy-focused. Uh, there's a bunch of browsers out there that support these connections, these ex- browser extensions.
0: So can let's we talk them. about Brave for a second? When we were talking earlier about NFTs doing things, so you know how like everyone is used to having browsers serve ads to you and track you yeah. and all that stuff? R- Brave will pay you in a native token to Brave for letting advertising come to you.
1: Called the basic attention so token.
0: You can get paid for participating in those ads or looking at those ads yeah, anyway I'll,
1: I'll look, full disclosure I've been using Brave for a little while so I think at this point I've earned close to 30 BAT. And I actually, <laughs> I kick back some of that. So you can actually specify which sites get some of your share and how much that share is of what you've earned. And so I kick some of that back to my favorite creators on YouTube and some of the, my favorite sites that I go to. They get different percentage breakouts that I get to choose. Yeah. And so it's nice they put that in my hands. I could say they get nothing, but honestly, it felt slimy because <laughs> uh, yeah, some yeah, of that yeah. content I love and I'd love to kick back to those people and encourage them to move away from traditional models into these new models. but. Yeah, in 3DBAT, it's only what, like, a, it's less than a dollar now because we're hitting crypto winter, but at one point, that would have been like 60 bucks. So just yeah. for browsing the web the same way I always do. Yeah, so that was a good little tangent on Brave. If you want to check out a new browser and you want to kind of dip your toe into the crypto game, that's another one you can check out. Uh, so but, anyway, we're, we're, we've got our Phantom Wall extension in the browser. Let's say we're past the seed phrase. You've written it down. You've stored it somewhere safely. You took a Polaroid of it, and now it's in a safe place. that's not going to get destroyed, and it's certainly not online and not in the cloud. Great. Good for you. Now you're going to have to make a password. Well, didn't I just have a password? What was the seed phrase? Why is that different than a password? The seed phrase basically allows you to reestablish your bank vault at any time. So let's say you lost your, you lost your computer. It fell in the ocean. Oh no. What am I going to do? Oh you have That seed phrase. Now you can regenerate all that stuff based on that, that phrase you had to write down before. Whereas the password is really more of like a, I want to keep my snotty kids out of this thing so they don't go buy yeah. the that I don't want them to buy. It's almost like the confirmation yeah, yeah. code on your TV for renting movies or something like that. You basically confirmed your password. Maybe this is the same password you use for everything else. And I would, you know, try not to do that, but you maybe trust everyone else you share that password with. I don't know. So you have that password assigned to this wallet. Now you're, you've opened it. You've got nothing in there. There's no assets. There's no soul, S-O-L, shit out of luck. Correct.
0: Am I shit out of yeah. luck? Does it say, <laughs> what does that mean? What's a soul? Oh my gosh, I thought that was awesome. Um so the soul is the actual uh, token in on the blockchain. So if it's the, like for Solana specifically. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to conduct transactions on the Solana blockchain, you need some variation of a Solana coin. And so if you're going to, if you're going to buy an NFT on the Solana blockchain, like from Solana art or something like that, you need you'll currency. need to have sold in order to do it. And in order to get that soul, it has a USD, a US dollar value right now as I'm looking at it soul's price is $100 per soul. So if I put $100 in, I'll get one soul in return that I can then use to go buy an NFT or whatever.
1: Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's just you're swapping your regular dollars for this digital currency called soul and since the price fluctuates right now, even uh, you know, what was it? Maybe a couple months ago, I think one soul was around $200. So yeah, it slides up and down and the market responds as well, so the pricing of things will reflect the current value of soul so okay we're in solana we've got our phantom wallet that's for solana i should point out to you and i won't go deep down this but because ethereum is a different blockchain my phantom wallet won't just work with openc which is based on top of ethereum you would need yeah. an ethereum based wallet for that this is again we're in the solana world now it's a different blockchain with similar features and a similar ecosystem but it's much more targeted toward nfts and it's uh, very user-friendly and the transaction fees are cheap I believe it's, what is it, like 0. 0.0001 cent or something like that for every transaction. Very affordable from that regard.
0: The- yeah, like I'm looking at, so for instance, if you were going to buy 100 sol right now, which is, if you're going to spend $100 US to buy Solana, you would get 0.98 sol and you would pay um, 78 cents as a network fee. Whereas on Ethereum, you'd probably pay if you wanted a hundred dollars worth of Ethereum, you'd probably pay twenty-five dollars in a yeah, network about, fee. Yeah, like that. somewhere
1: between twenty and thirty bucks. I just did it the other day. It stinks every time. <laughs> so I hate it. It's actually it's definitely off-putting for newbies. So that's one of the reasons why Solana is a great choice to start.
0: Yeah. Great user yeah. experience
1: across the board in that regard.
0: Yeah.
1: I should point out too for any developers that might be listening or interested in this, there is a standard that drives a lot of these wallets called Wallet Connect. So you can go check out the docs to that to see how to interact with Wallet Connect and basically I think there's at least one wallet on every major blockchain that has a Wallet Connect driven applications on it. So you can allow people to connect to your website using Wallet Connect. Um, all right. So they've got this uh, wallet. They have no soul in it. We'll talk about acquiring that cryptocurrency a different time. And there's no NFTs in it yet because don't have anything to buy it with. But I want to go start poking around at some places. What should I do? Where should I go? So again,
0: uh, yeah, that's a great question. I would go, again, okay, if you're on Solana, you might... Like for instance, if I Google something like black and white photo Solana, you'll start coming across like just, this has been a couple seconds and I'm already coming across Solana NFT photographers and where you can go look at their work and you can explore some of the creativity of what's going on in the different networks that they're on. So I personally would not start with going to, a service like solana art or one of those i would instead go look at what i'm curious in and what i can where i can go find that stuff
1: i see yeah it's worth pointing out that i think that it's a there's a misconception thanks to openc that you have to go to a marketplace to get these nfts and that's actually very much not true and it's especially not true in the solana ecosystem there is a piece of software that they have in the open source ecosystem called metaplex and a little piece of software inside of that called candy machine That allows people to set up these sites and easily allow other people to come connect their wallet like we mentioned that phantom wallet so you can connect and log in and then click a button that allows the user themselves to actually mint and create one of those nfts that's still remaining essentially taking a gumball from the candy machine and it is a pretty easy way to get people up and running so you'll find a lot of standalone sites running that software so you might not find this the art you're looking for by going to a magic eden or a salon art or maybe even an open sea if you're again in the ethereum world but you can find individuals homepages and sites that will drive the these nft sales so it's it's googling and poking around
0: yeah so for instance like even while we're talking i just found this site that has a really cool mix of both pfps and photography and art and it's got yes. a whole bunch of stuff it's called exchange art exchange art yeah i
1: should also point out that monkey um, top level domains like dot art xyz labs or actually that's not even one but there's a bunch of you'll see a bunch of those weird top level domains dot gallery in the nft world so don't be put off by that so that's a common thing
0: a lot of artists won't necessarily have a homepage. like one of my favorite painters trevor jones did a project with ice cube an nft project and it's a fabulous project. It's so cool. He did a bunch of paintings to lyrics that Ice Cube wrote and then did some augmented realities that when you looked at the painting, it brought up Ice Cube doing a custom music video for that piece. It's such a neat project. But Trevor Jones has his own homepage and his home personality, and he's a really well-known painter and that kind of stuff. But a lot of artists are just trying to launch stuff and they won't have a homepage. So they might be in Discord or on Twitter or just on Instagram. So if you don't find a homepage that promotes an artist, don't panic. It just means they're busy producing art and they're just trying to find the easiest way to talk about their stuff without having to do a whole bunch more work on creating a website or whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's true. You know, not everyone's like, oh, I'll just whip up some Metaplex and deploy my candy machine. Like they don't know what that means. And for right. artists, they just right. want to have a community and get going. Yeah, that's a good point. Twitter being almost like the landing page, the homepage for a lot of projects is also not uncommon. And finding, a large community of people around a project, you'll usually find them in either Discord or Telegram. Those seem to be the two popular ecosystems that drive a lot of these communities in these projects. So yes, that's right. If you don't find a homepage, don't feel discouraged. There's probably more digging to do. Unfortunately, just like that early web, it's not very well indexed. So there's a lot of new projects coming up all the time and you have to do a little bit of digging. That project was a really great example. Um, We talked about some marketplaces to check out as well i think we mentioned like magic eden salon art there's a few others this one here is exchange.art you know there it's good to poke oh. around but think about like art that speaks to you that's a big
0: yeah so i will say one of the things i've started to see come up and this is totally just no no opinions no judgments but there is a lot more nsfw stuff coming out and as people are sort of getting close to the idea of like oh I don't know how to create good art, but I sure do know how to draw porn. So that's definitely becoming more popular. So, you know, buyer beware. If you click on the NSFW link on an on a marketplace, you're going to get what you expect. So yeah, just don't have your kids that. sit next
1: to you while you're poking around here. It exactly. Is like the exactly. wild space.
0: It's still the wild west. Yeah. So let's uh, I think let's wrap
1: this one up here, but we can move into what to expect, how the whole process goes for buying an NFT, reselling the NFT. We'll do that next time and getting acquiring your crypto. So we've mentioned some marketplaces to check out. Put yourself in the mindset of someone who's doing that. Again, I mentioned that LinksDAO thing. Actually, no, I'll make that my pick because I think that's a good. We do picks at the end of these, so I'll make my pick LinksDAO, uh, which is if you're a golfer, go check that out. And there's a similar one, which is the Australian Open. They did something like that. I think the LinksDAO one is much more avant-garde in that it's, hey, let's raise a bunch of money. Let's for pour... we're all the members of this thing already that doesn't exist now. Let's go buy a golf course. And that has not, first of all, it hasn't come to pass yet. So let's see what happens there. But also, it's a great idea. And it might, it could spawn an entire new generation of these clubs, essentially. So that might, it's a little bit different from the art stuff. So I like pointing that out. And that's why I recommend that one if you want to go poke into that project and see what they did there. Um, Dave, what's your pick?
0: Okay. So I cheated because I said Trevor Jones earlier. So I'm going to switch on you and come okay. up with a different one. So I'm a big fan of the Helium project. And what they're trying to do is create essentially a people's network. So like uh, a wireless economy that if you stake your coins in so their- this is not a Solana project. Correct. Yeah. Sorry. No, he, that's its own thing. Oh, do you want a Solana project? No, I just want to point out that you know, oh, Helium okay. is its own blockchain. Yeah.
1: I was just informing
0: the yeah. listener. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially the Helium piece is designed to uh, sort of take wireless networking away from the big corporations and make it available to the people. Now, I realize that's a bit naive because where are they getting their access from? But that's a whole different question. But anyway, I think it's a really interesting project and I actually own a little bit of it and it seems to be doing okay so far.
1: Yeah, actually, it, well, maybe we'll wrap up on this note. I mean, since it comes up a lot, it came up a lot recently in a talk we did with Depth. There were a bunch of questions in the chat and I ended up answering those afterwards. And it was, a lot of them were sort centered around aren't these things supposed to be decentralized? Why are they all so centralized? And there's two categories there. One is how the capital is centralized. I don't want to talk about that. That's a different story. But the tech itself, you know, there's a lot of these hosting services where we have a lot of these cloud providers today that are owned by big tech, and it is the best way to deploy things quickly and easily across the world. So a lot of these projects are hosted on those big tech platforms. We're still so early on. We're still making building blocks every day in this space. What the Helium project he just referred to is a great example of is another building block toward a brighter future where we don't have all the centralization. And there's yeah. another project that's so complicated and convoluted, I dare you to go look at it, but it's called Internet Computer and it's supposed to be replacing some of these cloud providers we have today. And you know what? Like I said, it's complicated. There's a lot of lingo. We're still early days. Uh, we have a long way to go. We're making baby steps and if you feel confused and a little lost, that's normal because it's a crazy wild space. There's information blasting at you from all sides and people telling you what's cool and what's hot and what's coming up and what's going what's gonna to tank and just trust your instincts, try to ignore the noise, and just look at a project, turn off the rest of it, read the stuff, and if you get any of that spidey sense of, like, this feels not right to me, there's too much lingo, too much buzzwords, then great. It's not a project for you. It's probably not a good project for anybody. Move on to the next one. There's plenty of things to look at. Don't feel like you have to understand everything. If they're not doing a good job of explaining it to you, that's on them.
0: That's a great point. That's... Yeah, we can be done on that. I don't have anything to add. That's, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Cool. All right. That's
1: another episode of Ship It. Uh, Thank you, Dave. And then, yeah, join us next time. We'll go over all the buying stuff and tell you what to expect so that you can actually fill your wallet with something meaningful. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Have a good day.